these three kind of a trend over three different time circa 2004 the agile then 5 7 years ago the cloud and then 2 years ago remote development those have just suddenly made the model that we are in now where distributed software development teams across geography across time zones using cloud as a default setting agile as a widely accepted default way of building software this has become mainstream now What happens when the rest of the world catches up to your business model? You grow because you're in a prime position. Hamant Elhans, the president of Accelerate, describes how his original company called Synerzip would eventually become Accelerate and merge with Prime Technology Group, leaned into using a cooperative distributed team early on to develop software. Listen in for more about how these choices in conjunction with cloud adoption and a changing societal mindset about remote work have paid off for Accelerate. Enjoy the episode. Hamon Elhans, welcome to the show. Thank you, Albert. Great to be here. Yeah, right out the gate for our audience. Oh, by the way, audience, if you're looking at this on YouTube, you'll notice that I'm not currently wearing headphones. It they broke right before the show. We got our producer extraordinaire on the other line, Hillary. She's making sure that I sound okay. Hamon, hey, don't get mad at me. I'm sorry I'm not wearing the headphones. You got to keep yours on, but you know, I have none today. I know, I know it looks a little odd, but that's all right. <laughs> I'll put my on just I'll put them on just suck. <laughs> <laughs> just to match you. <laughs> yeah, they're in front of my ears, but you know, now we can feel like we're in the same club. <laughs> <laughs> I rarely wear these except for this recording. <laughs> But before yeah. we get too deep in the conversation understanding a little about your business, you know, tell our audience what exactly is Accelerate? What do you guys do? Yeah, good question. So, Albert, uh, an audience Accelerate came about um, as a company just about a year ago or so. We are essentially, and I'll give you a backstory in a few minutes, but we are essentially at this stage a agile product engineering services company with a deeper expertise in certain industry verticals like fintech health tech and insurtech but otherwise aside from the industry depth we do industry agnostic agile product development work for other software companies and we have a global delivery capability with us canada mexico and india Got the bulk it. of our team is in india that's a big part of our value prop to provide the the global talent pool both the economics and the scale and the depth of talent that we are able to bring to our clients from our two development centers in india yeah that makes total sense we've had multiple guests on it visionaries they all talk about getting access to engineering talent is a big challenge it's a big challenge getting enough people to work for you so we know that a lot of these big companies they might even be software native companies all of their engineering is not done in house they might need partners to help build microservices or additional applications and features you mentioned you have your verticals that you're focused on are most of your customers give us an idea what are they looking for like why do they choose to go to accelerate because you guys are agile development shop you know why do they choose to go to you is it just because of the lack of talent is it because of the lack of resource like why why use a third party company to help build software for you Yeah yeah excellent question excellent question Albert so there are three primary reasons that i've noticed why clients come to us and and value working with us the first main one is most software companies who are our clients have a lot more on their product roadmap that they want to deliver to their customers and they just don't have enough capacity in house to do it with 
the need to release big features and new capabilities next quarter. And they're completely tapped out with the in-house talent that they have. So that's the first very simple reason. We help them accelerate. That's the reason name accelerate of the company. We help them accelerate their product roadmap of features for their customers. That's the first primary reason. Uh, second is actually skills. Uh, many of our clients are mid-size, often software companies. And even if they're bigger software companies, the technology is such a treadmill. They can't keep all the skills in-house. Mm. Now, whether it's mobile development, whether it is you know, micro, microservices re-architecturing, whether it is cloud-native design, whether it is serverless architectures, technology is moving so quickly and so many varied forms. Any software company cannot keep up with all the technology variations that they're needing. So as a larger company, entirely focused on software, we are more likely for our clients to have a bigger platform, bigger range of skills that they don't have in-house. So we fill gaps in their skill profile. Third reason is economics. If you do apples to apples comparison, we are able to provide a 50% cost advantage given the talent sitting in India working in that time zone versus the talent sitting in Dallas, Texas or Silicon Valley or New York City and all that. So those are three reasons. And accelerate the roadmap of their uh, technology priorities, fill the skill gaps that they are missing in their portfolio of skills in-house, and then get a significant cost advantage. And that reason they come to us and become, most of our clients tend to be long-term ongoing partners for us, and we are doing ongoing engineering work for them. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense because we're constantly hearing about this talent and the lack of talent, or it's not that, you know, people aren't talented. It's like you said, like people have huge, ambitious roadmaps. You just can't build it fast enough, or you can't find enough people to build it fast enough. Exactly. Exactly. What are you seeing in particular where people are really needing outside support on? Uh, are there any categories within these verticals that you're seeing? Like, for example, are you seeing more AI ML projects? Are you seeing more UX UI projects? Like what kind of projects are coming forward where people are like, hey, this is like where we really need to accelerate? So the two you just uh, used examples are certainly big ones. UI, UX, there's such a big focus for last few years on usability and ease of use of the front-end interfaces by consumers and, and business users. So that is sign certainly a big part. And we have a big UX practice that we developed over the years. So that's certainly one. The other one, AI and machine learning is also, the only thing in AI and machine learning, what we have observed is it is a hot area and companies have so much data that they already have. They just need to put that data to use by using AI and machine learning techniques to provide more value-added capabilities to their end customers. So we are able to bring that additional expertise to take the data and, and, and make it more insights using AI and machine learning. So that's certainly the two big areas, no question about that. But then there are, there are a lot of other areas that the one big area that seems to be keep coming up more often is DevOps. Mm. And the idea is, so DevOps has become such a default and such a, foundational needing need for every company that they have to modernize their DevOps practices that they, they can't deliver to their customer fast enough using cloud platforms and all that without sound DevOps and QA automation. They go hand in hand. These two uh, kind of what I would call, call um, you know, bread and butter of uh, complex software development, DevOps practices, and along with that, automating their tests so that they can release stuff every few hours, every few days, not once a month. 
not once a quarter. So these things have become almost a foundational requirement for any software company. Okay. So this is fascinating because there was a huge movement over the last few years to move to a DevOps-centric organizations where companies were saying, hey, we want to be able to provision, we want to be able to provision the right microservices whenever we need, no matter what services are needed to the developers on these projects as fast as possible. That's always been like the goal. Prior to the DevOps revolution or evolution, if you want to say, it was like company, you, if you were a software engineer and you were working on a project, you would have to fill out a support ticket. You would have to go get an instance right. or a database right. instance right. provision. It would take forever, right? Like it was all these right. tickets. Right. Right. And then someone at the other end of the ticket would be like, I don't even know if I should provision this for you. So right. there was like the dream that you could just provision everything yourself, but it sounds like that's not really the case either, because that might lead to like, you know, too many instances being set up, too much infrastructure set up. Um, also, there's a big problem of teardown uh, for anyone who's ever used, like I, I, I use the analogy of kids and cereal, right? If your kid finishes the cereal, they never throw the box away. They just put it back there. So that's what led to like a CIO saying like, why do I have 400 instances of database where no projects are happening on it because a developer spun it up and didn't tear it down. So it sounds right. like it's going, heading towards this, like almost like a managed service. It, it, would you say like, you're like more like a managed service where you're helping with the DevOps. And that's why they're like saying, Hey, accelerate, you handle our provisioning, you tear your teardowns, you handle all our yeah. microservice access. Um, we want to yeah. move fast, but we also know our own internal people won't, I guess, take yeah. care of it enough. I don't know. Yeah. Why do you think that you see that growth happening in, um, for accelerate? Yeah, you touched a very um, important hot button about provisioning and over-provisioning and wasting some of the compute and storage resources and, and running a bill. And I was just with a client uh, this last, last week, and they were telling me the horror stories, how they find out you know, at the end of the month, additional $30,000 or $50,000 <laughs> just because someone <laughs> left certain machines open or certain servers, they, they, they spun up, but they didn't turn them down. Albert, I think that's a different challenge, adjacent, but different challenge than the DevOps. So DevOps that we were just talking is essentially modernizing the tooling mm. in a way that the developer can do their part of the coding and press a button and it can go, the functionality can be released easily into a staging environment without the developer having to monkey with anything. That's DevOps tooling, just putting the machinery basic what is called in a continuous integration machinery in place. So the tests run automatically, the build happens automatically, all those things. So a developer can focus on their value added coding part. So that's a DevOps. So DevOps is a now a table stakes. Every good modern software company needs to have DevOps tooling in place. But the point you made about provisioning cloud and not making sure you're not wasting cloud resources and running access additional dollar bill and running eating into your budget, I think that's a new area that a lot of companies, even the bigger ones, have just started worrying about. Because see, cloud companies, Azure's and the AWS's have become are very smart. They know how to get you in the door, and they know. I mean, they have very astute pricing policies. Oh yeah, they want you to leave it on. Leave, leave your Skunkworks project on forever, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The meter keeps running. So that aha of how to optimize your cloud resources while you're managing them to do what you need to do, but then turning the lights off when you leave the room is very important. Not many companies have yet attended to that hygiene. 
Oh yeah, well, we we hear of you mentioned the automations. We can I can see companies automating, you know, the spin up. Yeah. They always automate the spin up. They've not figured out how to automate the teardown. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> There's a room for improvement there. And of course the cloud vendors have no particular incentive to do that uh, while they will say it. So so, so, uh, so I'm hearing already from our clients that this is becoming a real challenge because, you know, developers are just spinning up stuff, doing their R&D work and proving something out, but then leaving the lights on. And then at the end of the month, then you see the bill. So, <laughs> so for yourself, you know, you know, I, I'd love to understand a little bit about the business, you know, how, and especially yourself, how did you get into this line of work? Um, did it start off as, hey, I'm just going to help a couple developers build some projects because you've been at it for quite a while. You know, I'd love to understand right. how you decided to build the business up to what was originally, uh, let me make sure I get the name correctly. The name of the company was, uh, well, you can fill me in. What was the name of the company again? So the original company that I co-founded was called Synerzip, uh, S-Y-N-E-R-Z-I-P in September 2004. Exactly. And this is the way we started that company was to help venture-backed, high-growth software companies rapidly scale their engineering uh, roadmaps, the kind of things I said. And then six, 16 years or so into it, so December 2020, we merged with another company called uh, Prime Technology Group out of Wayne, Pennsylvania. And they that company was a little older than us in, in, their, in their vintage. And they had developed over the years expertise in certain industry verticals that I talked about health tech, fintech, and insurtech. So we combined the two companies together. So Synergip side of the house brought the industry agnostic agile product engineering capability. Prime Technology Group brought in the industry expertise of health tech, insurtech, and fintech. And the two together made for a much better combination that we can offer both industry and agile product engineering capabilities to our target market. And not only that, do that with a global talent pool with two big development centers in India, in Hyderabad and Pune, and then additional development centers in Canada, US, and Mexico. So we cover nearshore, onshore, and offshore, all three time zones, all three economics. Each of these regions have different economics and time zone convenience trade-offs. What I want to do is take our audience back to that moment when you decided, hey, I'm going to go from being you know, a COO of a company to I'm going to start my own agile development shop. Were you already getting the itch? Like you were saying, hey, I, I, I want to do something different. Talk about how you just made the decision to say, okay, I'm going to break away and do my own thing. Yeah. So I think the short version of that story, Albert, is that we were raising capital for where I was CEO and the previous company uh, with venture capital firms. And we realized the venture capital from this is circa 2003, 2004 timeframe, the venture capital companies that we were talking to at that time, they were having such a challenge of helping their portfolio companies scale their engineering team in a capital and cost efficient manner. So they would ask us because in our previous company, we had a development center in India. So they will ask us if we would be willing to do some, you know, kind of moonlight services work for their portfolio companies because, you know, we happen to have a development center. And that's where the light bulb went into our heads, founders, that we thought, look, you know, there is actually a pretty good white space for us to create a pure services firm and help these venture capital and private equity portfolio companies scale their engineering team with a cost and capital efficient way of tapping the talent in India while preserving the intellectual property and the quality of work they need to get delivered with the US-based interface. For yourself, like how did how did it 
first look when you first started getting into this game because you've had a front seat really to how how fast software development has evolved over the last you know you mentioned 2004 but you've been in the software game earlier than that how what have you seen really change you know because back then even back then you mentioned it venture cap companies venture backed companies were trying to accelerate their roadmaps and they couldn't do it always with just their own talent they had to outsource some of the talent so you saw that right from the beginning Right, right. Give us an idea of how how things have changed in in software development and engineering, and what the CTOs. I guess it's primarily the CTO you work with. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. CTOs are our main target clients. Yeah. How have things changed in the last you know couple of decades? Like where 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 are the demands? Where are the constraints? Because uh, it sounds like resource has always been a challenge. That's why you exist. But give us an idea, like when it comes to development techniques, ideas. What have you seen change the most? So I'll tell you the three things that come to mind right away, three. The first one, which came early on in the, right around the time when we started the company and we latched onto that trend is Agile. The Agile approach to software development, which was new, circa 2004, when we started Synergip, uh, the predecessor company of To Accelerate, Agile was a new idea. The whole essence of Agile was to do co-located teams. You had to be sitting next to each other using mm-hmm. whiteboards to do your tracking of your burn-up charts and all that. So it was all co-located. Agile was defined as a highly collaborative way to build good software, but with co-located teams. And what we did was we reinterpreted Agile to apply to distributed teams, people sitting you know, in India versus in US and collaborating across time zones with our clients in US and all that. And that actually worked out beautifully because you could build trust across the time zone, across the geography, because Agile provided a tight cycle of feedback loop that you could do something today, demo it tomorrow to your client. Client says, ah, this looks good, but I need to change this box from left to right and all that. And before you know, the two teams are collaborating and, and trusting each other through that feedback loop of demos. So Agile was the first big trend that we ad- we embraced wholeheartedly, even though it was not meant for distributed teams at that time, 2004 timeframe, but it worked out beautifully. So that was wonderful. So that happened uh, and, and, and uh, helped us in our growth and all that through those decades. The second thing that happened maybe about maybe five, seven years ago was cloud. That now that the development Cloud became a default platform for not not only development, but delivery also, meaning a team sitting in India or a team sitting in Austin, Texas, both teams were accessing their code base, their source code over the cloud, GitHub over the cloud. So it didn't matter that you were time zones away and all that. So it just made uh, distributed development a lot easier with cloud being becoming the default. In terms of security, in terms of access, you could be sitting anywhere so long as you had good internet access. That became a big push to make it easy for our clients to work with us. Third thing that just happened two years ago is COVID, right? So what happened starting March of 2020, people quickly realized you have to be working from home. So it doesn't matter if you're in Austin and you have a nice high-rise uh, office space and you want all your developers to come there. Nobody was coming into office anyways. So it didn't matter that your developers are working from you know home in Austin versus their home in Pune, India. So that remote development suddenly became so accepted and even 
even preferred people were more productive they didn't mind the fact that they need, needed to get on a call at 10 pm their time because after dinner they could get on a call they so the time zone issues start evaporating with working from home acceptance so these three kind of a trend over three different time circa 2004 the agile then 57 uh, years ago the cloud and then two years ago remote development those have just suddenly made the model that we are in now where distributed software development teams across geography across time zones using cloud as a default setting agile as a widely accept, accepted default way of building software this has become mainstream now so our value prop has become suddenly very much uh, i used to have an effort i used to make an effort in the early years to convince my ctos why it would work well to have a team sitting in india 10 and a half hour time zones behind the us central time and all that now that discussion is not even needed <laughs> absolutely like i always date myself on this show because i haven't been part of a true software company we uh for a while now but in 2011 when we were building up our the software company that we eventually sold called xbeyond outsourcing was not an option. Yeah. Like our team was like it's not an option even though we were already using uh cloud services it was just not an option. At the time our CTO probably didn't really understand or have confidence in building a remote team. Uh you you mentioned a lot of factors both in technological development. So process development that's agile, technological development cloud and then I guess remote working is just an attitude change right people are just like oh well it, it just, <laughs> this is this is okay uh so like it makes it a lot easier so would you say like there's more companies now attempting to figure out ways to partner versus like hire because like every day if you look at the news closely enough there is a software company that will have to shutter its doors or do layoffs because you know the talent is expensive and if they're not developing fast enough and they're not hitting hitting excuse me uh revenue milestones of course you have to roll back some payroll are you seeing in like an even more increased demand to use absolutely. services like yours absolutely so the two uh, model that have become way more common now uh, albert uh, now that we are in this circa 2022 one is every company feels that it is completely okay even accepted or expected that i don't need to have all my software talent in house yeah. it is good to have i need a 40% team for my R&D roadmap I just need 10 in, as my employees remaining 30 40 I can use partners like accelerate that's a preferred model so that has become very much a expected model that I don't need to have all 40 people on my payroll so that's one thing very much uh, the mainstream now the second thing is even the companies who have their own development centers in India in this example because we have large they're coming to us now and they say look we have a big development center in bangalore but we are not able to hire certain skill profile let's say devops or ux design or or you know ai machine learning the things we were talking can you help us because you as accelerate have a much more well oiled recruiting machine because this is what we do for a living in we are services business that's what we do we have a highly fine tuned uh, recruiting machine to attract really good talent and do that in a very efficient way so even the companies who have their own development centers in in india are now coming to us and we become their additional development capacity for them in a, in addition to what they have in bangalore or pune or or hyderabad themselves and for you yourself your company you know you work in an interesting sector you mentioned before that your company accelerate focuses 
health tech, fintech, and sure tech. You know, when you say those things, I just think to myself, that's highly regulated, highly regulated, highly regulated, also highly susceptible, right, right. highly susceptible to cyber attack. The reality is those industries carry a lot of data that people find extremely valuable. Talk about what does that mean to be in that, to serve that sector specifically? Does it mean like you have to, because on one hand, this is what I think, right? On one hand, the needs of the business don't change. They all want to move faster. There's no CEO out there that's like, we should move slower. They all want to move faster, ship more products, ship better products, ship better services. That's going to happen. But on the other hand, you have a security requirement because it's highly regulated and you know it's a target. The the reality is you're serving customers that are targets. How does that that play out and what are you seeing in those highly regulated industries when it comes to third-party software development? The two answers to that. First answer is our, our client's tend to be software companies who, so they're, they're building a health tech software or they're building a fintech software or they're building a insurtech software. Gotcha. So data is less of a challenge. The users, their users are insurance companies. Their users are financial services companies. Their users are healthcare providers or payers. So the data issue is less of a concern with that. We're building software functionality and we're using test data to, to test the functionality, but it's test data, which is not very sensitive. So we don't end up finding ourselves squarely on the data issue, data security issue in general, in general. Now, having said that, there are a few of our clients who are, you know, uh, we are doing the IT uh, departments of a, let's say, a insurance company and all that. So once in a while, we do find ourselves on the data topic, but most of the time, the cloud has been very helpful because they're putting, let's say, an AWS instance in Singapore or, or or somewhere else, the data is all in the cloud, whether the company is in the US or companies in India, data is highly secured by the guidelines and the, and the robustness of cloud vendors, AWS's and Azure's. So we don't end up needing to worry too much about that level. I mean, I guess that's fortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's a non, almost a non-issue these days, these topics, yeah. That's awesome. That is good stuff. You know, when I think about when I think about software development specifically, I always think to myself, how how much better can our lives get? Because it's hard to conceptualize. I think we're all falling victim to it now uh, because there's so many apps and so the software has changed so much in the last few years. How much faster and smoother can products become? What else do you think? What do you see unlocking in the horizon? Because I, I, I joked with this with people that are outside of the tech industry. Um, a lot of people, for example, will outside of tech will think that, let's say they're using a company that's maybe not in tech primarily, like let's say education, or they might be in child cares. And they say to themselves, hey, well, if I launch this app, I'm going to get more business. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. Because people aren't like, apps don't have that like same cat, you know what I mean? Apps and software, yeah, yeah. they don't have that same cat. Like people used to think like, oh, if I launch an app, people will just flock to it. It's like, that's not true. People like the service the app provides, but they're not going to flock to you because you have an app. I read somewhere like every day Apple approves 1,000 apps a day, which is bonkers. So when you think about software and how software is changing these industries, what are some new developments you think that you can see on the horizon? You're like, wow, this is going to be have a big change for, for people. Or is it going to be more subtle? I always think to myself, like, as software gets better, it's almost going to become passive, meaning like I don't have to do anything. It's just going to do things for me. And when those things come true, that's when I'll be super happy. Uh, I always joke with 
like calorie counting is my favorite example. If anyone's ever used a calorie counting app, it sucks. Like you, you're adding in like how many cups of blueberries you eat and it's calculating. Right, right. It's like preposterous. I, I want to be able to take a picture of something and it tell me how many calories are in it. I don't want to add anything. Right. And I think that's how people are getting is they want to put no inputs. They almost want the software to be preemptive and like do something for me. Right, right. No, no, you're right. You're right. So I don't know. I don't have a good answer to that. I mean, there's a constant evolution, like you touched on, which is happening, making software uh, functionality for consumers easier to use and more automatic. They don't have to do stuff. Just take a picture, like you're saying, of, yeah. of a bowl of blueberries and it will estimate <laughs> how many calories are there. And it's close enough, right? I mean, you don't have to do a lot of legwork. So I think that's a good example. And there are many others like that. Um, that I find uh, that so it's, it's, it's gradual improvement constantly. So what keeps happening in, the, in this industry, as you know, is the compute power uh, with newer and newer chips keeps getting better and better. Storage keeps getting cheaper and cheaper. So the functionality in the form delivered using high-powered mechanisms like AI and machine learning and imaging and computer vision and all that keeps consuming this additional horsepower of the CPU and the storage capacity that is becoming cheaper and cheaper. And the beneficiary are us consumers whose life gets easier and easier. We have less, less manual stuff to worry about, more automatic stuff happens. And now, you know, just like steps, I mean, you walk around, iPhone counts your steps, you don't have to do anything, you know. <laughs> so, so I think that's just gonna, that trend will continue. And thanks to Intel's and, 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 and AMD's and ARM, compute power will continue to get better and we'll continue to enjoy better utility. I'm still waiting for that one AI, though, to organize my schedule. Because right now, I'm still organizing my schedule. I think it, when someone figures out a way to optimize my schedule, then I'll be truly, truly in right, compute right, bliss. Right, right. Everyone's trying so, to figure so that out. The thing is, you know, so there's a lot of room for continued innovation. Like Absolutely. Scheduling optimization, yeah. Amon, it was awesome having you on the show. Uh, it was. Th thank you for sharing your journey. Thank you for sharing your journey from, you know, from Agile, the, the three big benchmarks, right? Agile, cloud, and just general remote acceptance. Yeah, I mean, it can totally transform the way offshoring or having a third-party software development team. I can see how that's completely changed its attitude. Absolutely, absolutely. Before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Amon, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work. Okay. So that our our audience can get to know you a little better. You ready? Sure. Okay. All right. From our research, it looks like you really enjoy reading. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, I love to. I love to buy more books and I read a few. <laughs> Put it this way. You sound like my wife, man. She buys a lot of books. I don't know how much she's reading, but she buys a lot of them. I know exactly, that. <laughs> exactly. But I do read. I do read. <laughs> you recently put out a post of like your top 10 books or ideas. Um, you yeah, know, yeah, I did. You, you named, I'll name a couple. The Goal uh, by Eli yeah. Goldratt. If, if I mispronounce any author's name, I'm sorry. Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. The Seven Habits uh, by Stephen Covey. How did you... Uh, you know, you you put out your own top 10 list. What does it mean to be in your top 10 list? Why did you choose the books you chose? Excellent question. So this, I think I, I, I felt a need to, somehow I felt a need towards the end of the year, you know, the last month of December every year, you know, you got time, you got a little bit of downtime, then no, the schedule is open, you got to think about stuff. So I think I was in that mode that this was, I think this was pretty much the last week of December, I think when I, when I, uh, 
listed that. So that way I defined my top 10 was things that have influenced my thinking in a day-to-day basis. So when I think about, when I talk to a client today or talk to any business problem today, what is my what has influenced my frame of reference and how I make decisions, how I solve problems, how I deal with stuff? So what which books and and topics have really guided and and significantly pivoted my thought process? So so that the list that you just saw and, and mentioned some of them. So for example, goal. So goal is a book I read first time in my MBA class, circa nineteen ninety one, in Chicago. And it is such a wonderful, what I should say, parable about the system and how to look for the, if you want to improve the throughput of a system, you should focus on the constraint, the bottleneck in the system, right? Don't don't spend any an ounce of energy in any other part other than the bottleneck. And that, in hindsight, is so obvious that, yeah, I mean, if, if you have a pipe and there's a narrower bottleneck in it, that's the constraining kind of a uh, step in it, that's where you should focus if you want to improve the throughput through the pipe. So that's just one example of a very foundational idea. Similarly, the crossing the chasm, the adoption curve of technology with Jeffrey Moore has been such a foundational idea. So that's what my, so my list, if you say everything in book in that list is actually things that have such a foundational impact on how I think about stuff when I talk to, when I'm solving real world problems with clients and people and business and all that. So that's the how it make it to the, those are the things that made it to the list. Now, do you ever read anything fictional? I never do. That's a good point. <laughs> I, just, I, I just kind of, I, the fiction just does not engage me. Hey, I want real like me, world man. stuff. I, I don't read any fiction either. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why it is. I just like, hey, this story is fake. I don't find it interesting. I always say <laughs> that. so much like, interesting so much... stuff in real world, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I love, there's so many interesting things happening and like people are like, why don't you like this? Like, well, it's fake. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like Harry Potter, yeah. he's a wizard. Like, I, I guess it's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like exactly. to do for fun? So fun. I think lately, I know a lot of people have picked up and I was dabbling in it. One of the recent things is, of course, backyard gardening. I've been fascinated by this idea of seed germination. My son will tell you. So I've been fascinated about actually any good fruit or vegetable I find. I, I figure out a way to germinate the seed and nurture that plant to grow. And of course, that's one example of gardening that I've been more fascinated about than others. But just the whole idea of nature and seeing the seed germinate and and only a fraction of the seeds that you plant actually germinate and only a smaller fraction become any viable size over time. And then the frost happens in Texas. They all die anyways after that. So, but gardening, gardening has been an interesting new topic that I have kind of been dabbling lately. Uh, listen, I'm fascinated by gardening too. Uh, by the way, I my friend put me onto this and he says, what you want to really find out is like, low low care gardening um which low care right? basically but yeah he this is what i i'm not sure if i have the right term but they were saying like because i was trying to grow things that like kind of like what you described it took a little bit of effort and attention yeah, yeah, yeah he said what you should do is just take a whole bunch of plants and just d- drop them in the dirt and then see what grows because whatever grows is yeah. what is resilient to the climate and the soil composition and the water all that stuff so i'll tell you for myself i found out that um squash grows like a weed for me uh, in my yard. If I, if you would, if you throw a squash plant outside, it's going to grow. So I told my kids, if there's a nuclear fallout, they're going to eat squash only. <laughs> Cause I don't know how to hunt. I don't know how to hunt or fish. 
yeah, yeah. No, it's a good thought process. You know, let the the local um, uh, climate uh, and the soil type make the decision what will grow. That's you right. Just, That's right. So, like, yeah, yeah, so yeah, and, mm-hmm. I, and it's a just I'm like you. Like when I, so when I go traveling, I always look at what what do I see a lot of just endless abundance of, and like I can tell anyone who likes mangoes, go visit Costa Rica. The amount of mangoes on the ground, it's insane. I'm telling you like the monkeys, they take one bite. It's not sweet enough. They just throw it on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. That's luxury. You're right. (laughs) Well, Haman, it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks for sharing your philosophy on software development. Kind of thank you for sharing your career and how you've seen software and agile change, especially the attitudes towards uh, third-party developers, outsourcing. Um, I think you are correct. You're never, I mean, you will only get busier. You will only get busier because the demand for products is not going to change. You are right. You're absolutely right. Great to be on this show with you, Albert, and look forward to seeing rest of your guests i i've been watch i've been listening to some of your other guests it's wonderful channel you got going well i appreciate that i want to say, we'll have to th- throw a special shout out to our sponsors at uh, salesforce platform good 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 sounds good well thank you for having me on <laughs> <laughs>